3: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Editor-at-Large of Recode. You may know me as Maggie Haberman's evil twin, and that's real evil. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we're going to play an interview I conducted with A.G. Selzberger, the publisher of The New York Times. We spoke as part of a fundraising gala for Columbia University's Knight-Bajot Fellowship Programme. A.G. has been publisher of The Times since January, but before that, he was a writer and associate editor at The Paper. And I should disclose that, for those of you who don't know by now, I'm also a contributing opinion writer for The New York Times. Now let's take a listen to my conversation with A.G. recorded in front of a live audience at the New York Marriott Marquis.
4: Please welcome A.G. Sulzberger and Kara Swisher.
3: Well, we have a lot to talk about, Arthur. uh AG. What am I supposed to call you?
2: What, uh, I think AG is perfect, but all right, okay. what does it say about how this is about to go, that everyone who stopped me today said, good luck up there?
3: Good luck. Okay, good. Okay, fantastic. I heard Kara. First of in- all, uh, Jeff, congratulations for that award. I, when I saw it, I thought it was the award for drinking more beer than Kavanaugh. Uh, but, I mean, come on. Stop. I was worried too, I honestly, and your mother's here. He brought out his mother before to like, I'm going to be nice because his mother's going to rush the stage. Um, but this picture worried me right here. Here's me, looking like a real gay Johnny Cash. <laughs> <laughs> and here's him looking like he tells dad jokes 24-7. So, and he's just a dad. Congratulations.
2: Everyone what? needs a straight man. Yes, it's true. Yeah.
3: And you're really straight. Uh, so. so, so It's true. It's true. You look like 103. So, all right, so, by the way, I have a contract with them. Full disclosure. I don't care. Um, I tried to go
2: edgy with the charcoal suit.
3: It's nice. You look good. Okay, fine. Whatever. So, let's start talking about stuff. So, you have been in the job how long? Since January. January. So, what grade would you give yourself? Let's do a Donald Trump question.
2: Oh, I don't know.
3: You're supposed to say A. A
2: plus? Is that how it works? That's what I, I think did. journalists Go ahead. are supposed to take their time and make All right. sure to so check their How facts. do you think you're doing so far? Um, we actually have two times tables right here. Right. I'm going to just shout out an answer that's nice but not too nice. All right.
3: They're going to say A to you. Come on. Okay. What are you, How All do you right. think you're doing? How, 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 tell I us think, about the beginning of doing this.
2: Well, I think the report is looking great. I okay. think the report is looking as strong as it's ever looked um, under Dean Baquet and uh, Joe Kahn and this team here a lot of people want to talk about you know just the political climate right now but yeah. at the times we're determined to cover you know the stories of this era which is climate change it's um technology and how mm-hmm. it's disrupting every facet of how life is lived and it's the rest of the world and you know i'm really proud of the reporting that we're doing you know even as we're you know publishing a 14,000 mm-hmm. word investigation of the president's finances We're also on the front lines in Yemen trying to demand that the world that we, you know, that our readers pay attention to the rest of the world, too. So, I mean, if if we're just looking from the report standpoint, I'm extremely happy after this year.
3: Right. But I mean, the fact of the matter is it's Trump Trump and also Trump. Right. Correct. And that's been sort of the center of what you've all been covering because you've been set up as the opposite of. And like even today's news this week with the with the pipe bombs uh, and everything being sent in the danger you all are at the center of something much bigger than just, hey, we're gonna do just nice reporting. Or do you not see it that way?
2: Well, I don't think we ever see our job as, hey, we're just gonna do nice reporting. Right, Um, things have changed.
3: You don't feel like things have changed in the past 12 months?
2: In in the past 12 months specifically, look, I think we live in consequential times, and I think it's impossible to miss that. You know, I mean, we've seen the list of, you know, of of just just what's come up on this stage, you know, trade wars. the rise of populism, not just domestically, but all around the world, mm-hmm. um, sim- seemingly simultaneously—you uh, know—from Poland and Hungary to Brazil and through our own country, you know—and we're seeing the, you know, the increasing science of climate change. Um, you know, we saw the UN report a couple of weeks ago. So I, I don't think it's the story is just Trump. In fact, I think in some ways, you know, Trump emerges out of the convergence of other stories around globalization and migration, and, you know, and this global populism and income inequality. Mm-hmm. And I think our responsibility at the New York Times is to be covering the world broadly because I, I, I think we start to make a mistake as a society, when we start to just disentangle these threads and, and say that these things aren't connected. Now, as, as far as Trump, we've invested deeply in our Washington bureau. I think you've seen you know, that we are committed to covering the administration um, and all the institutions of power in Washington. Uh, as aggressively as ever, as anyone
3: but he's also made the new york times made cnn made other publications a character in this insane reality that's show that's going on How, what is that like in in terms of pressure on you and you you got sucked into it by Speaking to him, apparently. That yeah. um, you went over to this meeting. Explain this meeting for the you went.
2: Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't um, have gone
3: out without a body cam going there. But go ahead.
2: <laughs> I had something better than a body cam. I had uh, James Bennett, our uh, editorial, okay. uh, our opinion editor, All right. and former White House correspondent. So the, the president reached out through uh, the press secretary and asked for a meeting. I didn't know what it was about. I assumed. He wanted to grumble. Um, you may have noticed we've been doing some aggressive coverage of right. the administration. And I believe very strongly that it is the right of anyone who's in the news regularly to raise concerns uh, about that coverage. Um, Dean has a, uh, Dean Baquet, our editor, has a, a, an ironclad rule, which I, I've always appreciated that he won't meet the president off the record. Okay. He feels like presidents of the United States, you know, when they're meeting meeting with the editor. So, but I do believe um, that you should be able to raise concerns. So I decided to go. Um, Studied up in all the various stories and investigative reporting. We were, investigative threads we were pursuing that that he might grumble about. My read of it was, I think he uh, wanted to introduce himself and, you know, saw it uh, largely as, as, you know, something of a a social visit. Um, Now, I don't know If he had some agenda behind that, you know, I'm young, I'm new to the job. Mm -hmm. Maybe Mm -hmm. he thought he could charm my socks off and Mm -hmm. I'd call off the hounds. But for me, I felt it was an opportunity to raise my concerns, you know, sitting across the table, looking him in the eye about uh, his rhetoric, Mm -hmm. you know, which I told him directly and has subsequently been made public. Yeah, that worked. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it's. No, I mean, not. it's funny he you say did that. Not. did he I know. I, no, I know. It's not it, yours
3: in particular, but. Well,
2: yeah. so, so, I raised concerns saying that his rhetoric was not just divisive, right. which you know I think people had focused on, but it was getting really dangerous, and not right. just domestically, which again we too often focus focus on, but was really making the conditions for reporters abroad, particularly yes. in countries with limited press freedoms, much harder, because yeah. you know the, the world's foremost. Staunchest defender of the free press and the free speech as has always been this country, and um, and people could smell that we were no longer uh, fighting that fight. So I raised those concerns. I was not naive enough to think that he would, you know, look right. me in the eye thanks. and say, "Oh, thanks, thanks. You, you know, I've, you know, um, uh, you know, I've had my eyes opened by this." But he made a show of listening uh, politely and engaging with the conversation, um, asking questions. And then the next week, proceeded to ratchet up his rhetoric, you know, back to level 15 where it had been, um, you and know, with you enemy of the it. people. But then did, you know, I think um, everyone who cares about journalists and journalism a favor by, you know, um, allowing me to put on the record that he was warned about this. He was warned that these words would, um, you know, potentially, um, maybe even perhaps inevitably have consequences. And I think. You know, you can you can argue about whether or not, you know, it was naive of me to, to go there, or whether you think that, you know, people in my role should be meeting with the president. We can have that argument, you've heard my view. But I do think it's really important that someone took that opportunity to raise this mm-hmm. um, concern directly because I don't want him so to be So where are, to are say we I now think. on
3: that? Because the day after yep. everybody gets a bite bomb. He says something right. He reads yeah. it off the prompter, whatever they handed and made him say. And the next day, it was the same thing. Where do you, where we are in terms of danger? Because you see what happened in Saudi Arabia. Those signals are everywhere.
2: Yeah, I mean Saudi Arabia. What, what happened to you know our, our colleagues at Reuters and Myanmar? You know, um, you know a, a reporter was was raped and murdered in Bulgaria. Um, you know, Annapolis. You know, is um, you know on all of our minds. Um, this is. This is a scary time. And, and this is before I even talk about, you know, just the, the amount of hate and vitriol that that um, people experience and I imagine you've experienced just in the, in the digital space. So I,
3: um, I dish it out, but go ahead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. So where is it? You know, this is a really troubling time for all of us who believe in the role of a free press in, you know, um, in supporting a, a free society. Are and you scared
3: for the New York Times? Are you scared? when I mean, are you just... Or assuming
2: it's I look, my job is to worry on behalf of, of my colleagues, and I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't trying to anticipate you know what risks I need to be thinking about. but the New York Times tries never to operate from a place of fear. You know we've been operating around the world on the ground in dangerous environments you know, uh, for a long time, including you know, full-time bureaus in Iraq and Afghanistan since the beginning of, of the wars there um, And we know how to report when um, government minders are tracking us. We know how to report when our communications are being bugged. We know how to report when we're under threat. And I don't think we're there, but that's why I also don't feel particularly spooked at this point. What I'm more spooked about is the the erosion of trust and the polarization of trust in media. Um, I think that that, um, is an extremely worrying. So that's term.
3: something you've talked about: not wanting to be the resistance, not wanting to be the opposition. Yeah. The Times has gotten more opinionated, not just in opinions, but throughout. You have reporters on Twitter. You've got all kinds of things going on. There's much more uh, throughout, especially uh, digital media, much more attitude, voice. Yeah. voice, voice in it. You have talked about that not being the case, and something I worry about is that if you don't have some sort of a, uh, informed opinion that's from reporting, you end up typing words on a page. Or, yeah. or not typing anymore. But you know what I mean? It, all it is is just taking things down and being complicit in things that are something you shouldn't be in.
2: Yeah. Let me take that in a few different ways. I mean, one, I think, and you know, this is something that you've been a leader on as, as well. I, look, I think the old newspaper conventions <clears throat> don't work anymore. I think the indirection... You know, we did a lot of things as, as journalists, myself very much included, because I had a very traditional path through um, Metro dailies. But we did a lot of things that, that actually disguised why a reader should come to us and believe us. And we thought it was because we're not part of the story. We, want, we, we right. never want to make the story about us. But, but in direction like, you know, that old convention of saying like, Kara Swisher told a reporter today, mm-hmm. Right? Didn't yeah. tell a reporter. You told me. Right. You know, I'm right here, right. and um, and that form is either confusing or feels misleading in the digital environment. And so I, I do think that we have systematically tried to strip some of you know those old, that sort of like the newspaper ease out of our out of our work, which has allowed more voice to come in, and I think in a really good way. i you know one of my colleagues, Neil Irwin, um, who's a Knight Badgett fellow. You know, is someone who you know I really admire how he can write with authority and expertise that bleeds but, through everything, but, it, but, doesn't, but doesn't, doesn't, like, spin over to opinion. Um, spin
3: over to opinion. It's a really yeah. interesting because when I was at the Wall Street Journal, there was a set, uh, when I worked there, there was a, a, three words I hated, to be sure, comma, uh-huh, yeah. according to some sources, uh-huh. you know, blank. And I remember writing about Webvan, and they said, Kara, we need you to say, to be sure, some people feel web ban yeah. is going to work. Yeah. And I said, to be sure, those people are yeah. idiots. <laughs> um, based on my reporting, and so you know, it, it was so pleasing to get out
2: of that. So I totally agree with you there. I, but I really do agree. Like I think false equivalency is like the the easiest, laziest form of protecting, you know, the the, the appearance of independence. Right. When in fact you're actually, it's it's that's not what independence looks like. Mm-hmm what independence looks like is following the truth wherever it leads and right. being comfortable with it leading some place that you, A, you didn't anticipate and B, you may not even want. Sure, um, but
3: coming to <clears throat> a conclusion, do you think that's what's gonna happen? Because it happens digitally I'm, and the online publications are much more, I mean, at Recode we definitely say, yeah. guess what? Mark Zuckerberg ruined democracy, and here's why. Let me yeah. explain to you. Like he moved yeah. fast, he broke things, and democracy was one of them. Yeah.
2: Well, so. we do we do have an opinion section, and thank you for joining us. It. That's true. Um,
3: I know you agree <clears throat> with me on that. I'll get to that in a minute. Go ahead.
2: Uh, <laughs> but look, I, I I also think it's really important important the role. So so l- let me just like use one example that I think shows shows both sides of this. <clears throat> You know, we just did a 14,000-word, 18-month investigation, three reporters full-time, two badass editors, you know, a team project that um, painted the most comprehensive portrait of President Trump's finances that have been painted to date. And, you know, it wasn't full of, on one hand, on the other hand, we used the word fraud in, in one of the top couple of graphs there. And count the number of times a news organization with a good lawyer, and shout out to David McCraw who's here as well. Um, oh yeah, David, I forgot you've become a star these days. All right. Um, but point to me the number of news organizations with a good lawyer who's gonna let you use the word fraud right. if law enforcement has not yet already used it. And um, so I think that's an example of, right. you know, it is okay to draw a conclusion. But I also think it's really important to remember that there's a difference, the, the, the internet is, full, is overflowing with opinionated people and it's overflowing with opinions, many of them great, many of them terrible, you know, pick your side on, on which are which. But, and people have been opinionating that mm-hmm. you know, President Trump's finances you know, were, you know, um, there's something shady there for a long time. But what actually caused multiple investigations to be opened? Mm-hmm. It's digging. It's, it's reporting. Right. And, and that's the part of the journalistic ecosystem that has been weakened the most over the last couple of decades. And that's what I mean when what, I say What about the
3: impact of those stories? Because that was an astonishing display of journalism, astonishing. Yeah. It was amazing. But whoosh, it went by, right? Like, that thing would have gone on for months before. I wish it went by and something, something was Stormy Daniels and then Michael Avenatti was around and then I don't know what happened, yeah. and something else. Like, it just goes one after Well, the
2: and ca- it was Kavanaugh, uh, Kavanaugh. Oh, as yeah, well, yeah. Forgot about yeah, it. Yeah, we that forgot that. two weeks yeah. ago, right? Um, look, I mean, the, the attention span thing is real and I don't think we've fully grappled with how to deal with that. If you have suggestions, I'm, I'm all ears. I also do think that, um, you know, that piece was read, you know, one of the longest pieces we ever produced was read by millions of people mm-hmm. and caused city, state and federal officials all to say that they were looking into opening an investigation. So I, I also don't totally buy the. it didn't and have an it's not yet done. Yeah. It's not
3: yet done. We're going to take a quick break now for a word from our sponsors. We'll be back after this with A.G. Salzberger, the publisher of the very much not failing New York Times.
0: Startups. You don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money.
3: So let's talk a little bit about uh, where you're going in terms of your business. Let's talk first about social media. I made a yeah. reference that Mark Zuckerberg ruined democracy. How do you look at social media now? Because they have sort of hollowed out media. They've hollowed out local media. They've put havoc all over the place. They allow you know, fake news, uh, to, the real fake news, to go around <coughs> fake bots, fake opinions, lack of transparency. How are you looking as a business, as one of the most prominent publishing businesses?
2: Yeah. I- I mean, there's there's two sides to this. I mean, one is we have to be clear-eyed that these are the most powerful information monopolies in the history of the world, mm-hmm. right? So specifically Facebook and Google, mm-hmm. probably in that order. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and
3: Twitter is just bothersome over here. And, <laughs> it's a <laughs> well, little cesspool Well, Twitter's over just
2: here. ruining all our days. Yes. Yeah, I um, noticed
3: you've done, he has done two tweets. Oh,
2: God, it's so embarrassing. Did you read them?
3: Yeah, it was t- two, 2010. Like, yeah,
2: I was um, ordered to go on the Twitter by, my nas- by the national wait, editor. The
3: fact that you just said I was ordered to go yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, I know. <laughs> It's not the Twitter.
2: Did I say the Twitter? Yeah, you did. I know it's not the Twitter. That was that was just like a the stutter. <laughs> yeah.
3: <right>. Okay. <laughs> on the Twitter, yeah. two twit to of the Twitters, uh-huh. the tweets yeah. from 2010 is pathetic. It's just pressing.
2: Oh, and they were both
3: I, I tweeted twice from the bathroom. I mean
2: I know. Well they were they were done con- uh, on consecutive days. They're at the super beginning dull. Of t- they were my first two yes, days. And, they're and, super and, dull and tweets. Um, and then I think I think every media critic in America immediately started following me, and I was like, holy shit, this is a high wire act. I'm gonna get out of here. Um, uh, Which I know is a sign of weakness in your world.
3: Yeah, you do. Um,
2: So what were you-
3: I'm not even gonna ask you about Instagram or Tinder. So, um, But talk about their impact. But you need to use social media more, Um, just in general. That's my advice to you. But how do you look at them? Because how do you deal with them? Are they as important to your business going forward?
2: Yeah. So these are the two most powerful information monopolies in the history of the world. And they are where a huge percentage of of the global population go to get their news. And and we need to own that. That is... um, we we cannot pretend, if we want to introduce our work to a new generation, we, we cannot pretend that we can just ignore these spaces. So we know we have to be engaging with, you know, Facebook, with Google, with Twitter, with Snapchat, some of these other places. But we also know, um, because there's a pretty clear track record right now, that these are not journalistic institutions and yeah. they do not share our values. And right. quite frankly, you know, and uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of people in this room who have sort of bet that, like, we crack the code. They do not care if you succeed or fail, and um, and, and they both do not succeed if you if, uh, care if you um, succeed or fail affirmatively, right? Um, but also, they're comfortable just accidentally stomping you to death, um, right. you know, with an algorithm change. And so I think you know, getting to that sort of sweet spot of what is clear-eyed engagement where we understand that this, these are platforms that are not journalistic platforms, they don't particularly care about journalism, but they are a place where journalism is found and consumed and you can introduce yourself do to you, quality journalism. Do you think
3: they're media companies?
2: Uh, what, everyone means something sort of different by that. What do you mean by so that?
3: Do you think they're media companies? Should They, ha- they have immunity that you do not have. You yeah. cannot get it wrong. They have an actual law that they get immunity for what, all that crap that's on their platform. Which, yeah. means, which is precisely why all
2: yeah. that crap is on their platform. Yeah, I mean, I, th- like, I, I look back at, like, and, you know, anyone who is, is working in a newspaper, you know, has to recognize that it wasn't, you know, it's, it's only a matter of decades mm-hmm. since, you know, we had this ad monopoly, right? And, you know, the reason we were able to pour money into quality journalism is because we had an ad monopoly, we had a distribution monopoly in, in, right. in the communities we covered what's striking right now is 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 there are two new companies with that ad monopoly and they have it you know more profoundly than ever before but where we would, you know, personally vet every single ad and make sure it met met our standards. And we had, you know, I mean, you know, 60-page standards books with all these different obscure rules about, you know, like diet pills can't be right. advertised. Right. And we felt that that was part of our obligation, part of the, the social responsibility right. that comes with um, well, that role in the community.
3: It's because you're adults that took a humanities course course in college and these are people that did not so i mean but well, you
2: said that not me yeah,
3: yeah i say it again <laughs> they shouldn't be running these companies um so what do you do about what do you do with them how do you how do they
2: how do we how do work you, with them yeah. i mean look we we've actually got pretty good partnerships um you know particularly google we we've we've got a decent partnership where you know they come to us, we come to them, you know, figure out how, how to work together on, on specific issues. Um and and those the, the relationships are good. I mean you you know this, like you know it, it's it's not that these folks set out to destroy journalism, right? Um, you know, and if you're if you're coming just you know in in, in a clear-eyed way of, of what you want to accomplish and um and clear-eyed that that your journalism needs to have its own center of gravity and you can't bet the farm on these platforms, then I think you can you can work with them. So, so but what else are we doing? We're also reporting the hell out of, out right. of these stories.
3: Yes, nice Google piece today. Well done. Yeah. I have oh, to say you all should read. Thanks. It.
2: They're very naughty. To- Essentially,
3: let me translate it for you. They're very naughty at Google, it's bad. <laughs> it's, it's real bad for Google. It's a fantastic story. So then how do you get big then? I want to finish up talking about this idea of how do you yeah. get big then? If you are sort of you're pretty small. You're a pretty small organization you in the New York Times. How Do you, do you yeah. think you think big enough? Because sometimes I feel like the media organizations, and I think I said it to one of your editors when I was talking about, is think small and then think smaller. Um, how do you get bigger? How do you imagine with these things, these giant semis running down the highway, yeah. running all the adver- run, owning the adver- digital advertising pretty much, not going to be broken up at this point at least? How does the, New- does the New York Times think big enough about its brand and how do you get there?
2: I mean, I'll, I'll take any advice you have to offer. I mean, <laughs> I, I, look, I think, I think a few things. One, we stopped holding the future at arm's length and under Dean and his team, it feels like we've finally understood that you know, we are going to need to succeed as a digital news company and um, that's gonna look different. Um, it's not going to change who we are, you know, we are still an organization that's fundamentally built around original, on the ground, reported, expert, obsessively verified, core independent that, that, journalism, core. that's the core, that doesn't right. change, Right. but what form that journalism takes, you know, um, right now, more people are listening to The Daily every day, mm-hmm. you know, which is our, our news podcast, than ever opened up the front page in The New York Times, so you know, I, I think what, what, one answer to that is we're, we're trying to en- embrace change as an organization. Well, what does
3: that mean to you? I mean, people say I'm embracing change yeah. and I have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. So what does that mean from your perspective?
2: I mean, it, it, it means a lot of things. It, it means understanding that, um, that, among other things, that print is our mature business and it matters and it's providing... Um, a Ton of revenue that we need to support our big ambitious journalism, but it's also something that's in a shrink every year, and um, we're going to need to replace it with a thriving digital business. And and so, you know, it's, you know, embracing change means figuring out what the digital incarnation of cooking, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, our food section is. And it turns out it's an app of recipes, you know, it, it, it means figuring out, like, what the daily front page experience, you know, looks like in a digital environment. It turns out it's something like the daily, you know. Um, It means experimenting, you know, making the report much more visual. Um, It means integrating, you know, serious technical chops into our newsroom in a really profound way that allows us to do an investigation into Twitter, you know, that can systematically expose You know, the widespread uh, bot fraud Mm -hmm. um, that had been hiding under the surface. Yeah, Um, they're
3: all (laughs) of Recently, Maggie Haberman was tweeting, was responding to a bot, and I had to text her and say, Stop talking to the bots. You're talking to the bot. Like, she didn't even realize it. You're right. That's a good investigation to do. Yeah. Um, But but go ahead.
2: I actually lost my train of thought. All
3: right. What do you. (laughs) Uh, Ag, what is going to save the New York Times in the future? That's a pretty important question. That was the question.
2: What is? What else? So what's what's going to? Say, I mean, yeah. well, you were asking about growth, and right. you know, do I you think you get
3: that. How do you? I think get we have
2: we have a. So where, where do you get that? I think that I think that the internet had this like this sort of myth of infiniteness right mm-hmm. that that, had, that tricked a lot of us mm-hmm. and that that caused a lot of us to obsess over over more so there's like more content and the word content actually to me well it suggests this very specific thing right it's like it's content is something that fills a content bucket right and you know, journalism, right? Or, or if you're in a different industry, like television or whatever, you know, is like this is, is an, is a, requires an affirmative vision, right? right? We believe that people are, you know, in an on-demand environment, which the internet is, right. and now radio is, and now television is, in an on-demand environment, people will gravitate towards the best stuff. Right. And so our business strategy today is like boiled down to make stuff that's worth paying for. Mm-hmm. And it's that simple. Make yep. stuff that's worth paying for. And, you know, th- the growth question's interesting. You know, I, it's, we're like six or seven years out from everyone making fun of us for believing that people will pay for journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I suspect most of the news organizations in this room either have a paywall yeah. or are looking at one. And I don't think we, we fully know what the growth potential is, because I think that the market hasn't, hasn't fully right. developed. I
3: mean, they- We're going to take another break now, and we'll be back with A.G. Selsberger, the publisher of The New York Times, after this.
4: Wow, that guy means business. Just
0: an amazing player.
4: No, not him. The sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? Be the most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds in envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Support for this show comes from Fiverr, the world's largest marketplace for freelance services. In the fast-paced world of business, every decision counts. And when it comes to hiring, there's no room for guesswork. That's why Fiverr has developed solutions for businesses to make outsourcing projects simple, quick, and compliant you can gain access to curated talent through fiverr pro's catalog of top freelancers organized by skill and experience streamline your projects with a user-friendly dashboard where you can track progress and collaborate with your team and for anyone needing the highest level of white glove service fiverr pro's project partners can manage multiple freelancer engagements for you
3: There's a paper in Washington that a billionaire bought um, for not much money. Actually, it was kind of a bargain for him. Um, Jeff Bezos is $164 billion, right? Which is a lot of money. Would you ever see the need to have that kind of investment from one of these massive billionaires? Like what would happen if, say, uh, the one I think should buy you is Lorraine Jobs, but that's my, I bugged her about it. The
2: New York Times is not for sale. I
3: get that. But what would you, I get that, (laughs) okay but here's it well wait let me just say what would you do it's not for sale cuz you're thinking in a different term what would you do with a billion dollars what would the new york times do if they had a billion dollars to deploy
2: i you know i and i get this question it's, it's, i get this question occasionally and right, but but right. but I, hear me out it's it's an interesting question in the abstract but when you actually look at the at the reality on the ground Jeff Bezos has been very clear that he wants the Washington Post to make a profit. So, yes, the richest man right. uh, not just on earth, but I believe in the history of earth bought this newspaper. Well, he's um, leaving
3: earth, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Elon are going off to Mars. Bought to this, this <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> with their with their they work out a lot. Anyway. <laughs> I think too. Go ahead. Sorry.
2: So, um, so he, he bought this newspaper, and yes, he started investing in it again. Right. And, I'm, and, and all of us at the New York Times are, are delighted to see that, because quite frankly, we need more journalists in this country, right. and uh, it is not a zero-sum game, and um, we need a healthy Washington Post in this country. And so we are delighted to see it growing again. But it, the Washington Post is still a significantly smaller uh, paper than the, than the New York Times and, you know, another paper owned by a billionaire, the Wall Street Journal, another very fine paper owned by a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Um, not such a fine
3: billionaire, but go ahead. <laughs> Again, um, come on. Uh,
2: okay,
3: Wall Street Journal people, I work there, go
2: ahead. <laughs> um, is is also smaller. So, I mean, I do not think that, that for a you need second. That, that you need- I do not think for a second that the ownership structure of the New York Times is somehow hindering our ability to invest in great journalism. The last year, we've expanded our Washington bureau, we've expanded our tech coverage, investment? we've expanded our business but, coverage. But
3: you know, startups get mass events. Yep. The other day, a dog walking firm got a billion dollars. It was insane. Why do, would you not want that investment to do great local journals? I can think of a million things I could do with a billion dollars.
2: Yeah, I, Point to me where someone has just thrown a ton of money at the journalism problem, just thrown a ton of money, and it's worked out well. Um, you know, I've seen some really great, honorable intentions from, from folks who I will not name here. But, you know, I...
3: Talking about fusion, right? I think... <laughs> Got it.
2: <laughs> um There. But I think what we need to do is we need to build a, a business that sustains journalism. It can't, we cannot just be reliant on the altruism of people. We don't want a government-run mm-hmm. um, news organization like, like we see in other... other. The, the thing that makes the New York Times special, the thing that I think distinguishes us you know, from almost any other, other news organization, um, not not any that's but 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 among a handful of news organizations is its independence and, right. and that is baked into um, you know every fiber of what this institution mm-hmm. is and i don't think it's 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 separate right. from I
3: do think the new york times of the billion dollars is different than other organizations cuz you all will use it correctly well
2: then we're just going to go and we're going to have to go you out just refuse we're to have take to, the money
3: i'm offering we're, you. no we're going to
2: have to we're going to have to make that <laughs> right. billion dollars ourselves
3: and can you
2: what's that we can we grow that big i look i'm really optimistic you know we've got three and a half million you know subscribers now which is more than any newspaper at the peak of print and i feel like we're still growing i feel like we're still learning how to how to succeed in the in this digital space and i feel like the market for paid journalism is still is still growing and maturing as well so i'm i'm optimistic i look i really believe believe it when I say that, I don't think people are dumb. I think people want stuff worth paying for. I think they want the best journalism. I think, and it's part of the reason why I always answer the opposition question the way I do, you know? It's, it's so easy to get drawn into cycles, and, but trust is a long game. And, you know, what we do, you know, our mission, seek the truth, hold power to account, help people understand the world. That's perfect for this moment, but it's also perfect for every moment. And I believe that when like the noise clears and the smoke clears, you know, and we all look around, you know, we're gonna be hungry for for news sources that you can can trust.
3: Right, all right, last question. What is the thing you've done that's just most boneheaded of all this year? (laughs)
2: That I that I've yeah, done personally, as,
3: as you know, you now you're the CEO. You got the job title. You got the suit going on. What, <laughs> well,
2: our CEO is actually here. And the today. CEO, I'm sorry,
3: the publisher. Uh, the publisher.
2: I'm, I'm not making Mark. any moves, Mark. I'm, don't I'm worry. I'm sorry, Mark.
3: I'm so, I don't mean CEO. The, the publisher. I, I know all your boneheaded moves. But go ahead. What, what, I'm teasing. He's fair. I love his Facebook stuff. What have you done? What do you think you've done well? And one thing you've done not what, that you were like, oh, I got him.
2: I don't know. I mean, I've actually en- enjoyed this, but it felt pretty boneheaded not to ask the moderator this talk was going to be. Okay. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well played, young man. Um, all right. A real
2: one. A real one. Um, I thought I got out of that. Um, <laughs>
3: no.
2: Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, I, look, I'm...
3: What do you need to learn? Then I'll give it to you. I it like,
2: easy. so much. I'm 38 years old, and I'm Perfect. stepping into a big role at a, at a critical moment. You know, I, I remember... Um, you know, the announcement about my appointment had, had gone out, I think, 10 days before the election or something like that. And, you know, we had drawn up the front page, Madam President. Oh. And, um, I, and then
3: the meter was going off and on. Go ahead. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know what? Why don't we just blame the needle on me? I blame Should we do that for the bonehead?
3: The needle, it was, it was such a mindfuck, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But I, you know, I I just remember you know um, this moment you know at the end of the night or the next morning of just saying like oh wow you know this is this is this is a real moment you know I, I went into this job sort of thinking like uh, all we have to do you know as as a as a as a company as a leadership team you know um, me in this in this role is. Um, is find a sustainable business model to save quality journalism and now we also have to defend the underlying precept of a free press in, right. in a functioning democracy. So awesome. I, feel like, I feel like I have a ton to learn I feel like I'm learning a lot every day um, and I'm sure if you um, uh, get a couple drinks in these guys, every one of them will have some boneheaded thing. Um,
3: yeah, they don't need drinks to do that. But... <laughs> <laughs> Journalism people just yeah. bombing up information all the time. Yeah. Um, so you think if you looked at the New York Times ten years from now, you're ten years in the job. Yeah. What does it look like?
2: I mean, I hope, I hope it feels exactly the same, right? I hope like that that sort of sense of like what it stands for and what you expect when you interact. But I hope we've got a big TV show that people tune into once a week, you know, which we're launching, um, you know, um, uh, at the beginning of next year, you know, that people have learned is like dives into, you know, something deeply in a sophisticated way that makes them pay attention to something that they didn't think they had to pay attention to, whether it's, you know, genocide in Myanmar, or, you know, or the, you know, starvation of, um, of uh, the systematic starvation of children in Yemen. You know, I hope that we have realized that quality journalism is what we do and that it can take a million forms. And I hope we've proven that it has um, a big global audience. And I hope that we have proven that to enough of a degree that we have lessons that we can push back into the industry. Um, Because I really do believe that journalism is an ecosystem that needs to rise rise collectively. Um, I don't think there's one institution, no matter how much you grow, that's gonna grow big enough to support the needs of our society.
3: Right, well, on that note, A.G. Thanks. Thanks again to A.G. Salzberger for joining me on stage and putting up with all my flack. And to the Knight-Bajot Fellowship Program at Columbia University, where I went to journalism school, by the way, for letting us share the audio on this podcast, You Can Blame Them for Me. Thank you for all your listening. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell a friend about this show. Now that you're done with this, go check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode, and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.
1: Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline. Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Writers block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work.